It's time for Curious City, WBEZ's news-gathering experiment where we find answers to your questions about Chicago, the region, and its people. Today, the history of two Chicago art forms, one that's literally on Chicagoans, and another that requires some wood, some fancy electronics, and shiny metal balls. Right over here, we got uh, Adam's Family. Pinbot. Dr. Dude. Judge Dredd. Simpsons Pinball. Out of all the pinball games that are here, what percent do you think were made in Chicago? Uh, I would say 99%. To learn about the city and pinball in its heyday, just step up and insert your coin. Curious City on WBEZ is supported by Dover, a diversified global manufacturer committed to delivering product innovation and customer service in the energy, engineered systems, fluids, and refrigeration and food equipment markets. More at DoverCorporation.com. And by Artist Frame Service, offering Prisma Frames, a line of seamless acrylic custom picture frames made in Chicago, featuring a variety of shape, pattern, and color combinations. In Lincoln Park and Highland Park. More at ArtistsFrame.com. Who's the what is going to be? When? Where, where do I? Why is it? How many? What is the? What? <laughs> Hi, I'm Mickey Capper, reporting for WBEZ's Curious City series, and I'm answering a question about pinball from Kevin Tramer of Winfield. It makes sense that Kevin asked about pinball. Kevin Tramer has four vintage machines in the middle of his dining room, and he's got enthusiasm to spare. You ready? I hit, hit the start button. <laughs> My name's Kevin Schramer, and uh, I'm a 50-year-old guy who lives out in the suburbs of Chicago. I've played pinball since I was a little kid, and on the machines, it always had the address, basically, of where they were making these machines, and they were all Chicago, Chicago, and it's like, oh, that's kind of weird. So I guess since over the years, I've wondered, why was the Chicago area home to all the major pinball manufacturers during the heyday of pinball? It turns out Kevin's right. If you Google virtually any pinball company, Williams, Gottlieb, Bally, they were all based right here in the Chicago region. And they made the machines here too. And they made millions and millions of dollars in cold, hard change. But why Chicago? Kevin and I learned the story from industry experts. We'll hear from some of them and I'll fill in some details. This guy will get us started. Can you just introduce yourself? Roger Sharp. Everyone who I talk to in the pinball industry tells me how important Roger Sharp is, including Roger Sharp. You're something of a pinball icon. Would you accept that title? Sure. I think that uh, the impact that I've had on pinball has been somewhat uh, remarkable. At one point, I was considered to be, if not the best player in the world, one of the best players in the world. I wrote a book on pinball machines, which I think is still revered for being, uh, you know, one of the best histories of the industry. Anyway, Sharp can tell a quick story of pinball in Chicago. First, the industry itself started almost a century ago with... The Depression, late 20s, early 30s, people being out of work, looking for entertainment for a penny... And suddenly there were some people creating an industry, literally with you know, little pieces of wood. Now, these were simple machines. No buzzers, no lights, not even flippers. But they were fun enough to bring in the pennies. And an industry started to form. Chicago quickly became pinball's center of gravity. It was a convenient city for three key reasons. Materials, labor, and distribution. First, you had to make the machines out of something. And in Chicago, you had... Access to raw materials. Lumber, wiring, and everything else from the immediate vicinity. Metal parts, 
Gary, Indiana was a steel mill town. You know, all you had to do was drive by Gary to smell it. Hiring workers was easy in Chicago. Labor force. You know, a very strong immigrant population. And then, once you finished the machines, distribution was simple. From Chicago, you could get anywhere in the world. You had the railroads, you had... Shipping lines. You're looking at access out as a manufacturer to the rest of the world. Soon enough, the industry was so established here that it didn't matter who you were. If you wanted to make it in pinball, you had to move to Chicago. Take Harry Williams, for example. Uh, Harry Williams is located on the West Coast. And Harry is really kind of seen as the Thomas Edison of pinball. He uh, introduced sound, introduced uh, we'll call it electricity. Harry Williams created some of the best early pinball machines, but he couldn't really make it big in California. I think that uh, Harry realized that if he was going to make a go of it in this industry, he needed to be where the industry was. So, in the mid-1930s, Harry Williams set up shop in Chicago, which made better use of his talent. Eventually, Williams' name would grace pinball machines around the world. So that's why pinball was founded here. But our original question from Kevin Schramer was deeper than that. Why was the Chicago area home to all the major pinball manufacturers during the heyday of pinball? Chicago in the pinball industry's heyday. You can take heyday to be in the 60s and 70s this period of recreational dominance when the pinball machine, this clunky mechanical box designed to take people's pocket change, blossomed into a form of high art. Well, maybe not so high art. Maybe like one step up from carnival art. This is Greg Ferris, a pinball artist. But no, it's, I think it's worthy. It's part of the 20th century pop art. And this pop art was made almost exclusively in the Chicago area. And you can kind of tell. When I started at Bally, their headquarters was on the river, right across from Riverview. It was an amusement park, and a lot of the manufacturers were right within a three-mile radius of that area there. You know, that whole amusement park aesthetic seemed to influence pinball and pinball designers and pinball artists. So there's kind of that garish quality to pinball art the, you know, bright colors kind of influenced by Riverview in its heyday. Pinball art is Chicago art. And here's an example from one of Greg Ferris's machines. In 1979, when I did work on the Harlem Globetrotters, that was our worst winter here ever. You know, I was skiing on my street at home uh, because we had so much snow on the ground. So when I worked on the Globetrotters, I had a globe on the back glass and I took a big dab of white paint and just put it right at the you know tip of Lake Michigan there, right in where Chicago is. In other words, one of Chicago's most notorious winters made a cameo appearance on a pinball machine shipped around the world. In the late 90s, pinball hit a rough period. And since 2000, only one company has continued to regularly release new pinball machines. That's Stern Pinball, located in Melrose Park, a western suburb. Are you from Chicago? Yeah, I live in the suburbs off oh, okay. Winfield. Kevin Schramer and I visit Gary Stern, right. the company's CEO. What was the first table that you uh, worked on? Oh, God. <laughs> I started in the stockroom when I was 16, so it'll be 53 years ago. So I've, I've been around all kinds of pinball machines, so I couldn't die. don't know the first one. Gary Stern helps us understand why the pinball industry is still around Chicago, even if it's no longer in its heyday. 
Stern gives us plenty of details. We source almost all of our parts locally. The cabinets, the circuit boards, and even the little plastic posts are all from the area. But Kevin and I learned a bigger point. The people are still here. We're all here because we're all, we were all here. But why are they still here? It's not that pinball is changing the world. There's nothing serious about a pinball. It's just it's a ball and bat game. You know, it's not telling any great moral story. It's just fun. But it's not just fun that keeps Chicago pinball going. Every old machine in the corner of a dive bar, and every new machine that comes out, is a point of local pride. That was Mickey Capper, and I'm Logan Jaffe, here to talk about art and the city of big shoulders. In particular, art that's literally on many Chicagoan shoulders. I'm talking tattoos. The city's got about 200 tattoo shops, which is amazing, considering that for a time during the 1970s, the city was home to just one tattoo shop. Dan Zajek from Highland, Indiana, knew about the place. And he was curious to know how, in a city this size, the shop had exactly no competition for almost 10 years. It's not like this one lone tattoo shop started the whole industry. Tattooing had a place in Chicago decades before that. In the 1930s, Chicago's downtown was crawling with tattoo artists. Every theater, every arcade, every burlesque show had a tattooer in it, up and down State Street for blocks. That's Nick Colella. He's a tattoo artist and also the unofficial historian of Chicago tattooing. The main customers for all this risque business, Nick says, were young sailors from around the Great Lakes. There was a griminess to it. If you had a hallway underneath the stairwell, you could put a tattooer there. But in 1963, the state of Illinois wanted to clamp down on tattooing. One way to do this was to raise the legal age to get a tattoo from 18 to 21. That new law... Didn't allow those tattooers to tattoo any sailors anymore. So all the tattooers pretty much left Chicago. Chicago became a ghost town for tattooing. By 1967, there was one artist running a legal tattoo shop, Cliff Ingram Raven. When everybody left, Cliff stayed because he was a Chicago man. At that point, he was the only one in the city. That's Dale Grandy, who became Cliff Raven's apprentice in 1971, and two years later became part owner. Chicago Tattooing Company Incorporated, 1973. That's what they called the place, Chicago Tattoo. It's still on West Belmont Avenue. We kind of were in the cracks. We were just there. It was crazy. We would get artists from all over the country stopping in to see Cliff. He would uh, flip on a little carousel slide projector, and it would project tattoos that were done at the shop. Dragons, harps, warriors, that sort of thing. Extremely beautiful. Beautiful and successful. (laughs) I wish those times were back again. We would come to work and there would be a line already waiting for us to open the door. Chicago Tattoo's stranglehold on Chicago lasted until about 1976 when the first competition showed up. It was from a guy they knew. It was uh, always a a bad feeling when somebody opened up then. A couple years later, Cliff Raven left Chicago. He opened a new tattoo shop in California. But... Not before Cliff had left a permanent mark on Chicago. The newer shops, many learned the craft from Chicago Tattoos, Cliff and Dale. If it wasn't for uh, guys like me, I suppose guys like them wouldn't be around to do business. There's some really, really fine artists out there. 
way better than I ever was. At our website, you can learn more about Chicago's tattoo heritage through video and vintage photos. That's at wbez.org slash Curious City. Curious City is produced by WBEZ and AIR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism. Curious City is supported by Dover, a diversified global manufacturer that delivers innovative equipment and components, specialty systems, and support services through its four major operating segments, energy, engineered systems, fluids, and refrigeration and food equipment. By combining global scale with operational agility, Dover is a leader in the markets they serve. The Dover team of over 25,000 employees takes an ownership mindset, collaborating with customers to redefine what's possible. Find out more at dovercorporation.com. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Bada-bing, bada-boom, bada-bing, bada-boom, bada-bing, bada-boom. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Bada-bing, bada-boom.